0: This is Bruce. This is John. This is
1: Blix. This is Trav. This is Andre. Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast, your podcast for international explorations, supernaturals versus the government, and any other possible world you can imagine. This week we are exploring the usage of props and other type devices at our game table. We have a special guest with us this week, This week we have Andre Krupa, and Andre, could you tell us a little something about yourself? Sure. Uh, Well, I'm from uh, South Portland, Maine. I
2: specialize, at least at conventions, in running horror role-playing. I call it theatrical-style role-playing. I use uh, lights and sound and set up a little mini-theater in a conference room or a billiards room, depending on the convention. And we sit at the table and have a highly atmospheric role-playing experience my website's www.gamesoapbox.com
3: all right so so we, we've done a lot with this m- with music and everything let's talk a little bit about traditional stuff let's talk with miniatures how much do you guys use miniatures uh, well, i use the cardboard cutouts
0: i'm not very skillful at painting miniatures but i also have learned how to make my own cardboard cutouts
3: well any miniature will do that that's fine that's perfect that, that fits it's you know it's still a miniature it's...
0: oh yeah so do you use them very often Yes and no depending on what the game is. If I'm running my pulp game, yeah, cuz I am going to have like three or four maps and there's going be combat and it's going to be a lot of combat going on and you really need to know where you're standing and where you are for that combat. So yeah, you need a map. And maps mean you need miniatures. So I have actually have made miniatures. I've got a large collection of PDF miniatures. I also have the complete collection of C Jackson paper uh, cardboard heroes. I don't cut up anymore. I, t- I take it over to my comp- over to my copier, put it in the card stock, and make a color copy of them, and then just cut the card stock copy up and not touch original because you really can't get them. They're really they're getting harder to find these days. <laughs> yeah, right. I have a whole yeah.
2: collection of those. I used to use them yeah. a lot.
3: Yeah, right. But, but Andre, you were saying that you don't use them too often now because the horror game. You, you said it, it kind of uh, it takes away from the the atmosphere you're trying to create.
2: Yeah, I, I prefer my horror games to be a little bit confusing. Especially with Call of Cthulhu, I like there to be a little bit of chaos. And I think it depends on how much tactical considerations weigh in in the rule system. You know, you, you, you shortchange your players in some games if you don't use figures um, or some kind of representation. On the other hand, in
0: some games,
3: I, I don't think they're necessary.
0: D20 or D&D 4th edition, you have to have men.
3: You have to move your miniatures with your joystick, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm always busting yeah. on a fourth edition.
0: No, I also do Savage Worlds, and I, depending on the game I'm running, I can take them or leave them.
3: Savage Worlds works with miniatures really well, but you know what? what I use, and, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, this, this is like what I call my dumb miniatures. I have a dry erase board, mm-hmm. and basically, what I do is, being that it's a very pulp, very open ended kind of thing. I put the dry erase board down. I draw the scene out with a, you know, with, with my marker, and I just put people on the board. And when they say they want to go somewhere, I just determine how far they went on the board. You know, we're not counting inches or, or hexes or whatever. I say, okay, you get here. Yep. Yes, you make it to this guy. That seems to work really well. It flows really, especially at conventions, because at conventions you don't want to be bogged down. Yeah. Or at least I don't. Not the kind of games I run. Well, and Bruce, you, you played it I didn't use the, the dry erase board there, but I think I drew it on paper on there. But now I've got a dry erase board and I'm using that because that way I can, you know, I can put your finger down and then I can just wipe it loose with my finger and then draw another X somewhere else. Yeah, it worked fine. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense.
2: I actually – a lot of the stuff I do, most of the scenarios I, I run about a dozen times. Um so mm-hmm. I laminate most of my handouts unless I, I'm looking for them to, you know, be printed on parchment paper and you know, old and dirty or whatever, which I also do do.
4: Um, Andre, something else as far as maps, and I'm I'm gonna plug a friend of mine's work here. Bendy dungeon walls, basically they're little plastic pieces mm-hmm. with stands on the bottom, and you snap them together and you can bend them to make hallways and rooms and whatnot. They're from Dark Platypus Games. A friend of mine, Andy Barlow, makes these. Sculpts them out of plastic, and they've got the walls, and then you can set where the wooden door is. And they even have magnetic bases. If you have, like, a dry erase um, grid map, which has, like, metal in it, the magnets will stick to the metal within the the mat. So you can sit there and sculpt out maps on the table on a dry erase board, so you can have the bendy tiles... Plus, if you need a dry erase marker to mark, like, okay, the fireball went off here, you can hmm. do that.
3: That's pretty cool.
0: That
1: makes yeah, sense.
4: I got that for um, my birthday about a year ago, and I was, I used them for my game just recently. This past Friday,
0: I think I saw those at, at, a, at a con
3: one time. Yeah, they are. They look pretty cool. Are they cost friendly for people on a budget?
4: Well, yeah, yeah. Andy tries to you know keep the stuff cheap because he knows you know we gamers generally are you know kind of well. Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I'm a little bit outside of that because yeah. I actually do pretty well for myself. But, you know, I, I always keep that in mind because a lot of times, when, you know, you go to the convention stuff and, and, and you hear it all the time. It's like, I really wish I could afford that. Oh, yeah. yeah.
2: There's so much cool stuff.
3: One oh, thing yeah. I'm,
2: so I will often laminate the maps. Um, so the players have their maps and I'll have my map. So I do still try to establish clearly where everyone is but I don't necessarily, you know, I don't want it to be so exact that, you know, they're moving X meters or whatever in a horror game. And I will often use a little dry erase marker and write on my own map little notes just Mm -hmm. so I can keep track
3: of what's going on.
4: Yeah.
3: So they they move at what we like to call the speed of plot.
4: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I like that term. (laughs)
3: That's good.
0: Yeah. Now talk about making maps. It's called Tiamat. They have access to all 3,600 e-adventure tiles that, that, that they're, they're put out by, uh, by, by the company. And basically, you can make maps with this utility and then print out just the tiles you need. And if you already own some of the maps, they will create you those tiles so you don't have to pay for them. Oh, that's pretty hmm. cool. Wow. And it, it does uh, 150, 150 DPI uh, So yeah, and you can print out as tiles. You can print out as a full-fledged map and do some more editing in like Photoshop. So I I use that a lot to make some maps.
2: That is really cool. I remember way back in my D and D days in the 80s, I would often uh, draw it all out on on cardboard, you know, like beer cases or uh, whatever from the supermarket. Cut it all out and then paint them up and then lay them out during the convention as the players
0: explored. Friends of mine actually used to own a game store back in uh, New Mexico. When they left New Mexico, they brought a lot of stuff they had purchased through the game store. And one thing was this solid dungeon construction kit. It had traps. It had stairs. It had hallways and rooms and... All this great stuff, and it said, "And the set we have here, it's about ten thousand dollars worth of stuff." <laughs>
3: oh, I've seen this at conventions. I said, "I know what you're talking about," and I've seen a guy. Mm-hmm. He sets this whole board up with this thing, and it's one big giant adventure that he just, you know, he and he has like twenty players show up, and they all just kind of go through it. Mm-hmm. It's it's ridiculous.
2: Yeah, that's sounds pretty neat. There's some absolutely beautiful stuff like that these days.
3: I'll tell you the coolest thing I ever had was this is and this is way, way back in the day. We're talking nineteen eighty nine, I think. And this was before Battletech came out. There was Battletech was previously known as Battle Droids. And they had a whole bunch of copyright issues because they basically used all of the mecha from Robotech. Yeah. And put just put it in their book. Battle Drives was the name of a movie. Was it okay? Well, anyway, so yeah. they you know, they got hammered with that, so they had to change it. But when I was at the convention, they had the the mecca that they were selling, which were Japanese models they were buying that were you know they were just reselling them. But they sold uh, there were eight and a half by eleven sheets that were iron ons and they were hex iron ons. What you do is you buy a sheet like a twin sheet, and you 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 would lay these out and iron them on. So I made this. You know, it was basically like a twin size sheet. I mean you could use any sheet, just depends on how many the paper you know, how many eight and a half by eleven you bought. And I made this big giant map that was made out of a, a bed sheet. I went to the hardware store and I got uh the what is it, the one inch foam or whatever, and I drew hexes on it and cut them out and I, and we could make mountains and stuff with like pens and all that kind of stuff. And uh, that was pretty cool. That was, but that was like that's kinda of like the old school do it yourself, like really low tech.
0: No, I think the lowest tech was, was way back when, back in the 70s. Someone brought in a set of rules. These are Star Trek rules. Ugh. But he brought it in with the old AMF Star Trek models. Oh, so nice. Had, this is in Oakland University back in Michigan. There's this one cafeteria that had hexagon-shaped floor tiles. Oh, God. And, yes. And they're the right size. Wow. For the figures. They're the right scale, so we are able use the floor as a giant hex map. Oh, that's awesome. And, that's and see, great. And you can see people sitting there cutting out tiles for their photon torpedoes, wondering if they're hit or not on this round. <laughs> at that point.
3: So my next house, when I do my bathroom, or you know, I'm gonna do <laughs> hex, hex tiles. <laughs> there you go.
4: Yeah, that'll go over well. I can hear that conversation now.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my girlfriend would be like You want a
4: what? Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) I will say that the best use of props I've ever seen in a game is my friend Ed Matheny. He runs uh, a game called The Playful Watch. It's set in the land of Zoe, but with a little crossover with Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Uh, (laughs) If you're not not familiar with Sorcerer's Zoe, it's a fantasy fairy tale type type game uh, using uh, PDQ. Uh, rules. But the thoughts behind the Playful Watches is that we are various misfit toys. Oh, boy. Two misfits actually send to children. So what, what Ed would do, he would go to the to the dime stores and the bargain stores and buy the cheapest toys you could find, wrap them up as presents, and then you send them out there. You get to pick one present, open it up, and that's your character. And you got to write them as a, as a misfit toy. I got, it's a little fire hydrant, with a hose and two buckets, and I said, "Hmm, Mark, he's Rusty, and that's <laughs> uh, that's Alice, and that's Petunia, <laughs> two buckets, and Rusty, he's a misfit toy because he doesn't squirt water; he squirts alcohol." Oh, <laughs> oh. the thing is, you had you had these characters, and that's what you are using the base your characters on. So you had it was the greatest props, the greatest miniatures, because you had, it had actual toys to use as your as your figures.
3: Now. This is really traditional, and this is, this is like, I know a lot of people use these from, you know, pretty much regularly. A lot of groups do. Using images and dossiers. So, like, you know, you're playing the game and you pull out, you know, a picture. This is the villain. Or, you know, people, you know, having pictures of their characters. But is there anything that you can think of that, you know, where images or dossiers or anything have been used to, like, really great effect or some kind of unique effect that you've done with anything you've you've done? Like, have you ever planted clues in pictures or, or in, in documents? Or, you know, like I was saying before, you know, when he said that you get a license for somebody. You know, you pass that out, so that you find this and then you know the players go, Well, I'm gonna go to this address that's on his license to look for clues. You ever has you guys ever had anything like that?
0: There's a uh, there's a newspaper headline generator out there and we've all in my group here we've all used it to create you know headlines and then you get like about a uh, hundred words worth of story to put underneath it. And we would we use that for a prop. But pictures I use good old fashioned pictures, though I have picked up some uh, personality cards. Basically, there's, there's like little playing card-sized pictures of people. You, this is the bad guy, or this is the good guy type thing. But hiding stuff? I haven't actually tried hiding stuff in plain place like that. You know, the good old pur- line letter. I should think about doing that.
2: Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. I uh, use a lot of paper props, and, you know, I'll sometimes print stuff on parchment. I've never done anything exactly where the clue is exactly hidden content in the sense that it's like some symbol that's Mm -hmm. hidden in the corner of the map. But because I've run Call of Cthulhu, I have one scenario which actually is available as a monograph called The Vault. And in that, one of the key documents has important information in it, but it's a whole section of a document which is authentically, well, I guess I should say that... uh, the magical information imparted by it is based on actual practices. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it talks about how to do things and and everything's spelled right out. And you have to read it and figure out what part's relevant to the story. Right. And it's written in old-style English with instructions for the practitioner. So, uh, and that's an important paper prop. And maps, I think, are vital. And now that we have the Internet, I'm pretty obsessed with when I run a game now, I, I buy the printed book because I prefer to read that, but I buy the PDF and then I cut it up. And I, because one of the things I always used to hate back in the old days, especially uh, in the 70s, uh, before we really had decent computers, you'd have to go down to the local copy place and freaking copy everything and paste it together. It was a pain. So now yeah. you buy the PDF and you just cut and paste everything together. I usually print it out and laminate what I feel I need to laminate or cut the text out and actually do the letter up so it doesn't have any page numbers or anything on it. And I think that stuff's pretty cool. You know, it's not necessary, but it's cool.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. did that for the Roach Motel. In the back of the book, there's a bunch of things you can cut out. You can print them out and then, then cut them up in different into, into little handouts for the players. You always got to have some sort of handouts to get to the players so they, so they can look at and set it down and not read.
2: <laughs> yeah, right. well, I usually, in most of my games, if you don't read them, you get killed. Right. Yeah. You know? right. But I hear you. And, and I think but, all that's important. You know, I used to do uh, D&D games with some fairly extensive handouts as well. Uh, one time I had a welding rod case. Which looks kind of like a scroll case. And yeah. I got this shelf paper, and I hand calligraphed, though I was much younger, so the results weren't necessarily top notch, but they were cool. So you had this long scroll, which was the clue to the dungeon. And you mm-hmm. had to follow it and figure out the riddles and use it as a guideline. And people eat that up. A 10 foot scroll? It's pretty cool.
4: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. So people enjoy that. Cool. Oh,
4: yeah.
1: Bruce, anything you got? One of the best uses I ever saw of a prop like that was the GM took this box, and it was a locked box, and the box was, was melted, and it was burned, and it had all kinds of strange markings and stickers on it, and none of it made any sense. They left it in the middle of the table, and people could pick it up, and they could listen to it, and they could shake it, and they could tell there was stuff inside the box, but they couldn't see what was inside the box, Then halfway through the adventure, he says, and you find this key. And they find the key, but they hadn't found the box yet. So every time someone tried to, like, do something distracting, everybody at the table was like, would you shut up? We're trying to find the box. (laughs) So finally the GM says, yes, and you found the box. And they grabbed the box, and they were, like, fighting with each other to get the key in the lock to get that thing open because they've been waiting all session to see what was in the box.
3: What's in the box? Yeah.
2: (laughs) I, well, anticipation is a, is a big thing. That, that's cool. A covered prop on the table can have that kind of effect. Just something you don't want to reveal till the key scene. You keep covered with a cloth. Everyone's going to want to know what's under that. It's just natural human
3: reaction. Right. I haven't found one cheap enough yet, but I would love to get my hands on a crypt text. What's that? It's like a scroll case, but it's got a combination lock built into it. And you can't open it until you get the combination right. What he would do is he put a piece of parchment inside of there with whatever information was on it, whatever important piece of information, and then he'd put a vial of vinegar in there. So if you tried to break open the case, the vinegar container would break, the vinegar would get on the parchment, it would dissolve the parchment. Gotcha. Or dissolve the ink on the parchment, I think.
0: Well, if it was papyrus, it dissolved the parchment.
3: Maybe it was papyrus, okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I remember that now from reading the book.
3: You know, that would be kind of cool to set that out on the table. You know, you find this as a clue but the players have to play through the adventure to find that word. And and you let them play with it, you know, if they could try and figure it out, if they could figure it out, then great. They can get into it. But you know, you set it up so that that was the that the, the the clue to the adventure is in there, and then the answer to what's going on is inside of that case. I thought that would be kind of a cool thing to do, but they're prohibitively expensive.
4: Oh yeah. Yeah. Um Andre, have you run any games in the steampunk genre?
2: Uh, not in a long time. I used to do Space 1889 back in the day.
4: Oh, yeah, that qualifies. I go to the World Steam Expo. I'm in the Detroit area. Oh, okay. And needless to say, for a steampunk game, I found out going to like the Salvation Army store and going through the housewares is a really good way to find... Stuff that kind of looks Victorian for that. Because I I dress up as a character. I dress up at at, even at sci fi cons. They know it in, in the Detroit area. And just like get like an old tea set to set on the table or an old looking clock or even getting, you know, an old pair of goggles, which I mean, now heck, you can go all over and find goggles. Those Nerf Maverick pistols, they'll put a various type of patina on it. And they'll get it all bronzish looking and, you know, like they'll scrape off the Nerf logo on it. Things like that, I notice, are really good for props. And just set it on the table. And, I mean, it gives them something visceral to hold on to. And, you know, they'll pick up the the modified Nerf guns. Like, okay, and I fire three shots at the airship pirate, you know, or whatever. Things like that, I notice, are really good.
2: The whole steampunk thing seems to be really... uh... Uh, taken off right now.
4: Oh, yeah. As I said, the World Steam Expo is just huge. It's it's going to be its second year in Dearborn at the Hyde Regency. And I was there last year, and just the background that you can get for props, just the ideas are just infinite. Anything from that looks like junk. I mean, even just spare cogs. And, I mean, you can just lay those out on the table just for ambiance.
2: Well, that makes sense. Machinery bits and whatnot. Yeah,
4: right, right, right. I-
2: I've done some extensive web surfing
0: of that stuff when I probably should have been doing other things. (laughs) Uh, So I've seen. (laughs) Oh yeah, the folks in in Seattle—we're having SteamCon three this year. So yeah, it's 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 big here in Seattle. That's actually this stumping grounds for Abney Park is here in Seattle.
4: Yes, yes, great people. I've met them. Yeah,
3: down at DragonCon, some of the hottest girls there. We're, we're steampunk girls
4: oh yes yes world steam expo too also yes one of my fellow dementia radio djs first time modified a nerf maverick pistol pair of them he did a fantastic job and i mean he hand painted all the stuff and put the patina on it and everything it's a huge honking handgun huh. and just, it it's like this gun mm-hmm. just holding it Screams authority, <laughs> and I'm just wondering how much if Nerf realize when they made these pistols, wondering why they're selling off the shelves, and if they just do the research and realize, oh, it's for the steampunk craze, you know, and just they probably they probably can't make enough of those pistols now because people are just going into Toys oh, R Us and snatching them up.
0: Oh, you know, I was at I was at Target and I was and I was walking around and I saw the uh, chain gun. Nerf gun It's it, <laughs> it, it a, it a chain gun It actually has belt feed For the, for the Nerf rounds Wow! And I'm and looking at the thing going You know, this has some You can really do something with this one. It has some extra valves and pipes in this sucker You can make this one heck hellacious looking a Weapon, a steampunk oh, no. weapon I,
4: I'm on the Steam Fashion Live Journal Community and Michigan Steam And just the stuff that I see these people Crank out is incredible I mean, they do guns, they do various devices, and obviously the clothing. I mean, if you can get people to dress in a steampunk game, if you have clothing, I don't know if you'd want to sit in Victorian clothing for four hours at a gaming table, but I'm sure that would help the, or even the game master be there in Victorian-type costume. That would help set the scene.
2: Oh, sure. Mm. I ran a Call of Cthulhu game many years ago, and everyone came to the table dressed up for the scenario, and that was pretty cool. Although I don't generally encourage that at conventions. I mean, I'm not against it, but I figure that people don't need to do that for the type of role-playing experience I'm
3: providing. Makes a right. big difference in a LARP, though. going to get into costumes. Do you guys ever use costumes at all? Has anybody ever used costumes at all?
4: Uh-uh.
3: It, no, probably not.
2: I, I might like wear a hat or put my arm in a sling or do little bits of business for specific uh, non-player characters, but I don't actually wear a costume. I like to wear black when I run games, and then uh, I might put a hat on. Yeah, you know, I'll talk like you know. Hey, well, you come down here, you, you talk to me like that. Right. You know, maybe I'm playing a gangster in a pork pie hat, or you know. So sometimes I'll do stuff like that.
3: Right
0: this is good for a pumpkin, it makes you think appear alluring You have not seen the last of
4: me, Nick Danger!
0: <laughs> Benny! <laughs>
1: uh. If you put on a costume, it's not something you wear all the time, and invariably you end up needing twice as much space as you normally do, and there's always a premium for that at my table. And when people do use costuming of any kind, I tend to see it more along the lines of, as you said, a hat, a pair of glasses, gloves... Very small things that they could use as, like, a, a, literally a hand prop, something that they can twist or wave around a little bit, but they tend not to go full-blown.
4: Yeah, I think we agree that full costuming would be more reserved for LARPing.
1: I do think, though,
2: that little bits of business, like I think it was Bruce that was saying, are very useful, you know? Like, if it's a female character, she might have a compact, or... You might have a guy uh, who has a cigar so he can do a little bit of business with the cigar while he's playing his character. Or uh, I ran a game where they played a bunch of little girls at the beginning of the game. One of my friends got a towel out to wear as a shawl and, and another one used a little Broken pen, you know, the inside of a pen, and a washcloth to ma- pretend he was making his pop it. So people can do a lot of stuff with a little hand prop, like the gloves, you know, maybe when you're, you know, playing your character, you might slap the gloves around or pull them on and off. And I think that helps people get into the character.
4: I think at the gaming table, pretty much it's good if you can hold it in your hand any bigger and you're just inviting a lot of trouble and more work than's necessary. I think that might just be a good rule to set now. If it's something handheld, fantastic.
2: I think that's generally true. Plus, you know, most games if you're running it at a convention, it's a pre-generated character. You'd have certain logistical things you'd have to work out for them to costume appropriately. They'd have to register well in advance and and you'd have to communicate what role they're playing. So it adds a whole logistical layer <laughs> to working it out for convention presentation.
4: Andre, have you ever been to an anime convention?
2: Portcon here in Portland.
4: I go to Yomacon here in the Detroit area with my daughter. Yeah, those they're pretty much in costume all the all weekend anyway, so they come to if you're on a game anime convention, they're already in costume. Oh yeah, right?
2: well, they yeah, they show up in their cosplay outfits for sure. Yeah, yeah,
4: yeah,
0: yeah. I have been to SakuraCon I've been to, so, cool? so, I've been to Sakura Con here and Actually, I was sitting there. I'm standing in line waiting, and I I decided to wear my Hawaiian shirt that day. And I'm huh. and and i and I'm bald, and I got a white beard. And some guy comes up and he yelled at this one character's name, I'm going, "What? You're just missing the turtle shell back for your back. You need a tur- you need a tortoise shell for your back and a, and a big walking stick." I finally went and found with the character who was, was in the Dragon Ball. <laughs> it's this oh. character who looks just like that in Dragon Ball. Oh. <sighs> Wow! Right. <laughs> so I'm like halfway through the costume. I just need a big. Just need to give myself make a make a big tortoise shell back for my back and uh, and get this big old walking stick.
3: Cool. Well, mm-hmm. so we've we've got you know we've covered just about everything. But the only thing I guess there's there's like two things left that I that I have on my list. And then you know we can we can talk about whatever else. But you have a list? Yeah, I made a list. I made a list. <laughs> Does anybody ever use any web tools? You know, like so you pull up your your laptop at the game table. I know there's some map. Google Maps. Just Google Maps, My- Okay.
0: Yeah, I've used. Actually, I used that for a bureau game. I mm-hmm. was uh, showing various places around Seattle, and saying, "Here's a satellite view." Yeah, and expand it out, and you can see look at a house. Hmm. That's cool. Oh, okay. All right. Found a place that looked about right where I want to be on on a map in Google Maps. And then check to see there was a street view, and there was. Okay, went down to street view and took a picture of the house from the street. Huh. So I can actually show them that picture of the house. And then later on, I can show them the map on the map board.
3: City and portal. That's that's like a a gaming tool website. And I was just wondering if anybody ever used any of that kind of stuff and, and had any success with it.
2: I really haven't done that. I uh, utilize uh, WordPress.com uh, to keep a blog. Uh, for our Magica campaign, it's called Mysteries of com. right? And we do that because there's so many characters since it's troop style play,
3: right?
2: I use an application called Meta Creator, right? And, and then I print out batch files of PDFs of the characters and post them in sections on the blog so that we have application to manage all the characters, because there's a lot of them. There's the Magi and the Companions and the Grogs and the Covenant, and you know and then the document for the background after we design the Covenant with the storytelling system. I don't know if you guys are, are familiar with ours, Magikob. Sure.
4: I've heard of it, yeah.
2: It's a great storytelling system. It's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's kind of a technical game. It's kind of the opposite of Fate. Right. Mm-hmm advantages and disadvantages with a task system okay Hmm. it's a lot of fun you play magi it's set in the uh the 1200s very role-playing heavy the magic rules cover many many books and the combat rules cover maybe 16 pages right so it kind of gives you the idea so i use a website to keep the blog to have a journal for the game that i post on an irregular basis and then keep all the game related information on the web and we access it while we're playing People bring the laptops to the game and, you know, that way they can look at all the different characters that they have to. Because you're not just playing you. You might play someone's companion or a couple of the grogs during someone's scene. Or So it's kind of important to be able to have access to all the characters.
3: Okay. We use a Yahoo group. We just use that to post all the files and characters and stuff like that. So the Game Master... If he makes a modification to your character, he posts it up online. Or if you make a modification, you can download it, make a modification, and upload it. And then he keeps all the contacts on there as well. So if you can't remember some NPC that you were dealing with like a week ago, you know, because we only play once a week, and and in real life your character was just talking to him yesterday, you know, or a couple hours ago, but you can't remember throughout the week. So you know, we keep that kind of information, and he he'll post like stuff that. We need to know for the adventure. Like he might, he might um, send out a message to us. You know, make sure you download this file and read it before you show up because it's something your character's found. Um, That kind of stuff. So we we use Yahoo groups for that.
4: Yeah, I, I oh, go ahead, Andre.
2: I was just going to say we actually use one to keep a calendar. I find that really handy because we run a lot of different events up here. It's kind of like a little clubhouse. So I have a group for all the people who participate, because not all of them are role players. We do historical games, too.
3: Okay.
0: The group I belong to, we actually have a Yahoo group we've been running for uh, several years. We also have a blog page we had. That we also run a little one-day convention, too. We're running this year around the around, uh, 4th of July. So we use it for multiple things. We did try using scheduling software, but we just... No one could figure out how to make it work and it only worked for some people's machines and not for everyone else's.
2: I do think we're going to see more computer-assisted gaming as we go forward and ways for people to play over the internet. I have mixed feelings about that. I mean, I think it's great. And the more that we see expansion of the hobby, that's wonderful. I mean, for me personally, I like to be in the same room as the people I'm playing with when it comes to role-playing. I don't care so much about a tactical exercise. But role-playing, I really think it helps to be in the same room.
0: I've been doing a lot of Skype gaming as of late. Two of my friends moved down to California, so the only way we can get the game with them is over Skype. We did look at some of these uh, online game tools you can use, especially the free ones. But they take a lot of work to set things up. I mean, lots and lots of work sometimes. You have to actually literally draw everything by hand inside their tool, and I'm going, no. To, can't not you
2: upload images and stuff like that, though?
0: Yeah, the, the the better ones can, but then they have other issues, such as connectivity. Gotcha.
2: Have you yeah. tried Inferno? I have a couple friends
0: doing that that seem to think it's pretty cool. I haven't tried that one yet. Basically, screen LCD TVs are getting cheaper and cheaper. And I suddenly realized, you know what? I can probably go out and buy a 72-inch LCD TV, flip it on its back, put acrylic sheet over top of it, not plastic-like acrylic, and now I have a map table. I can do my maps and bang, there they are. I just got to make sure that they're the right, they're scaled correctly for the size of the, of the, of the screen. And there is a map table to put figures on and move them around. And I can change the map and hide things in the map.
2: We always for years <laughs> fantasized about that. You know, some yeah. big table and everyone would have their own terminal. But, you mm-hmm. know, pretty soon it will be something like what you're talking about and everyone will have an iPad. Or yeah. an iPhone. Um, right now, I believe it's IBM has a table with a glass top that's touch sensitive. Yes. That, yeah. Were, were you talking about that at the convention? I think you might have
3: been. I might have been. Mean, I might have been. I know. Um, I know. Restaurants are starting to use those now. There's some restaurants you can go in where you. Didn't I see that in Tron? Uh, probably. Yeah. 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 You did. You did. But basically, there are some restaurants where you go in, and you sit down and there's no waitress really you sit down you order your food to the thing and when you're when you're all ready and you've ordered your food you hit send and it goes to the back room and then they bring out they just bring out your food so hey, okay one other thing i can think of it's the last thing that i have on my list is um videos have you guys ever used any video stuff for uh, as props for adventures
1: i mean other than having somebody watch a video that would be inspirational beforehand
3: I mean, like at the table, like, you know, maybe you have a laptop and you pull up a video and you show, I don't know, some video of something.
2: I have not done that, although I have plans to do it. I did years ago use a cheap computer system and display to show people sensor data for a science fiction game I was running. Okay. Um, and that sort of thing. So I had a series of preset screens. I actually wrote the whole thing in basic and had a little menu. Huh. Um, yeah. That was a long time ago. That was actually on one of those cheap Sinclair computers. now i have used a lot of sound to introduce stuff you know pre-recorded witness statements or a pre-recorded message in a science fiction game that the communications person receives okay i have a zombie game that script of a video is pretty important and i would have produced the video if i had the money and the resources right right um so i have a script for it but i just make people read the script right
0: yeah, I never actually had a need to do because the only thing I could do anything for right now would be for science fiction because I actually have a couple three D rendering tools, building a ship model, then animating it, and then you know, and then taking the animation and then showing it on a screen. Uh, you know, I can do that in just that way. A ship, you know, the ship shows up and show a picture of the ship I rendered, and that's a lot takes a lot less of my time.
3: We would probably use it if. For example, let's say you bought a module and the module came with a CD that had some video attached to it. Wouldn't be against using it. It's just developing it. It's just totally cost and time prohibitive. Maybe in the next convention cycle, I might, in addition to my own stuff,
2: do a Diaspora game because I've gotten quite excited about Diaspora. Oh, I mean Uh,
0: Diaspora? Well, that's what I always say. (laughs) Yes, Diaspora.
3: (laughs) Jeez. Uh,
0: uh, you gotta get on the board. There's a, They actually have a board on, on uh, BoardGameGeek. If you go to the RPG section of BoardGameGeek, they actually have a board up there. You'll see me see a lot of my postings there.
2: Oh, I downloaded a bunch of play-aids off of there, and I'll probably post a bunch pretty soon that I've worked on. Uh, but I probably will be using some video for that, but it'll be very simple. It's not going to be a rendered spaceship or anything. It'll probably be communications. Mm, okay. Um, yeah. So we'll have to see, though. Uh, you know, that'll be the setup, but we'll see. I, you know, how it is you get excited about some something that I really should be working on my 50s horror setting, but I've gotten distracted by it because it's got some very interesting ideas,
3: right? And that's that's all the topics I have. Um, anybody else can think of anything that we haven't covered yet?
1: Well, I saw something in Knights of the Dinner Table some time ago that I always wondered how it would go because, of course, in the comic book, it, it ends tragically always, but. I always thought about what it would be like if you actually had your character as a hand puppet. Oh, God. Oh, Oh. Because we were talking about how costuming is a problem because it's too big and everything else. But if you could create a small hand puppet that would represent your character, then – you know, would it just turn into a Punch and Judy show where all of a sudden people were taking their little swords and stabbing each other? Or would they actually act out more? We
2: actually do have hand puppets that we use in our Ars Magica campaign. Mm.
0: Yeah. And they did have hand puppets in the Rocky and Boo Inkle uh, role-playing party game. Oh, that sounds fun.
3: Andre, weren't you saying something about you? somebody had an owl hand puppet? Yeah,
2: uh, one of my housemates, Abby, her character Bonita is able to turn into an owl. It's her heart beast. And she often as in the form of an owl when she meets the rest of the Magi in council. And so she has an owl puppet that she uses. And another friend of mine um has a statue of a rooster, as familiar as a rooster. So he'll put that on the table when he's playing
0: as Magus. Hmm. In their um, playful watch games, people will actually use their figures as as like puppets with, with rusty i moved his i move his hose around he moves around i, I dance the buckets around i basically it's, they're, they're puppets at that point and our folks do the same thing with theirs we know uh, we don't go and tag each other we say oh i'm gonna go, go take this rope take this duck over here ding 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 and beat on the duck with my hose Bang 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 and you know stuff like that and act it out <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Something
2: I've always uh, uh, fantasized about for years would be to have a big rear screen behind uh, behind me with a scrim in front of it. And then when the characters are in a forest, I would be able to throw a big widescreen forest image up behind me. So when everyone's looking in the direction of the Game Master, they'll see it. In a perfect world, I'd have it behind each side of the table behind the players, too. And then mm-hmm. they would almost feel surrounded by the woods or see the cemetery or the Mount yeah. vista. Oh, yeah.
0: I can see that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. When I win the lottery, I might, might be able to afford to do that.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I hear you.
3: That's yeah. my problem,
2: too. You know, a purpose-built game studio you know, is a little beyond
3: my means. Well, there is one thing I overlooked. Do you guys ever use cards? Like, I know Savage Worlds has their action deck where it has special effects. So, you know, every character gets, every player gets, you know, three or four cards or whatever. And they give you, like, special abilities.
0: For a Fringe of the game, I decided instead of having them write down what their weapons they have... I made, a, I made a deck of cards of all the weapons they, they could use, and then hand them the weapons as they needed them. Hmm. They had their Glock, and they have their XMR8 mm-hmm. in hand, and, but be as a card with all the stats you need. Though I've, oh. I've looked at other ones, and I said, you know, I can probably do these better now. What I did was I put the picture on one side of the stats on the other side, but I can probably put the picture on the same side with the stats.
2: I'm big on that stuff. I actually have a laminator my friends gave me for building our Blood Bowl website. And I laminate all kinds of stuff. We're starting to get into playing some fudge and checking fudge out. And so I have cards to keep track of all your wounds and stuff. So you just mark it off with a a wet erase marker and then uh, keep track of your stuff. And even, you know, now when we're starting with these Fate games, I have laminated cards... For aspects, so that when the free taggable aspects come up, you can write them out on a card, and you have a spot to check off, and then when those uh, free-tagged aspects are used, you check it off, so that you know it's been free-tagged once. Mm
4: -hmm. Uh, Yes, uh, I was in a feng shui game uh, last year, and our game master put the character sheets in, like, page protectors, Mm -hmm. and we just dry erase markers to mark off wound points. It, It saved the character sheets. We didn't have to erase anything off on them. We'd take them out if we wanted to add, like, okay, we picked up another weapon, but for ammo and for wounds, we just wrote on the page protector and then wiped it off at the end of the session.
2: And that's something I do. All my stuff, I have a notebook with page protectors in it. And all of my materials and the handouts and everything go in there. The laminated stuff is collected in envelopes and put in the pockets. Uh, But I also do that because every game I usually do about 12 times. So I really want to make sure everything stays reasonably pristine.
3: There was a guy in a cyberpunk forum that I'm on. And he actually, he made a whole setup in his room, in his basement, his gaming, gaming room. He has like a custom table that he had put together, and and it you know it glows in the dark, and he's got black lights built into it and stuff like that, and he's got character sheets that. Well, no, the character sheets are fine, but the dice he uses glow in the dark dice, so he they actually play in very very low light sometimes. So your whole gaming room, your table, and everything can be considered a prop. Like for example, you know, be kind of neat would be you use a light table. A light table is basically it's got fluorescent lights underneath of it, and it uses like a. Um, a semi-opaque glass like a like a translucent glass that's that's usually frosted so the light gets diffused so the whole table lights up as just you know one color but that might be kind of neat
2: sure i often will uh have scenes where you're in the dark i will make it go to black and there's flashlights on the table if you want to see you'll have to pick up a flashlight and use it hmm.
0: yep actually if you're talking about gaming table that is posted a link to it is the sultan oh that's beautiful that's the ultimate gaming table. It retails for 8000 or almost $9,000. I think oh.
2: it's like, uh, isn't it like 10 and some change with most of the good options?
0: Oh, yeah. yeah. I remember yeah.
2: eyeballing it. I actually have a custom table that we built. Uh, it's really more for historical gaming, but of course we role play around it as well. Uh, but yeah, the salt, and that's magnificent.
0: It has a sand table you can use, or a miniature table, and then it has a regular table on top. So, that, like, Wow.
2: Yeah, it's like you know, like a high quality pool table, like a Brunswick pool table. If you guys mm-hmm. haven't seen it, it's they're beautiful. Yeah,
3: I think uh, I think it was at DragonCon. They had um, they had a company that makes tables for you custom.
0: That's what we're talking about, Geek Chic. Geek yes, chic. that's it, Geek Chic. I just posted a link to it in the in the chat window. And in fact, all the player stations have built-in dice towers. Just drop your dice in, out, out they come. That.
3: Yeah, that that's for gamers who are just. What's yeah
0: it's for
2: single gamers <laughs> or it could be for uh yeah. for you know older retiring
1: gamers at the end of a long lucrative career right right you know uh, must be a different economy that i'm used to uh,
2: yeah but well, certainly not <laughs> happening for me i was pretty crushing just to buy my new lights let alone a freaking ten thousand dollar table
3: you
1: can buy a lot of lights for ten thousand dollars
3: I could maybe afford something like that if I didn't have a child. But a child has right. the ability yeah. to um, absorb every penny you make. Well, you would know that, Trav, right? Okay. Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I could have had this. <laughs> or just about yeah, anything.
2: Yeah. It's – uh. Not too different on a
1: less intimate scale with, you know, keeping a
2: game group together.
1: Yeah. Did you guys ever watch that show Extreme uh, Home Makeovers? Mm-hmm. Oh. Uh They had an episode where uh, they wanted to turn the person's home into kind of like a Vegas showroom. So at one point what they did was the dining room table actually... It could be attached to the chandelier over the, and then it could be raised up, and underneath it was a full craps table. Hmm. And they had lights hit or hidden that it could bring out. They do the whole lighting thing. So, you know, you can do a lot to turn a space from just a normal house into party room. Oh, for so, sure. You don't have to spend $10,000 to do it. Ping pong tables are probably one of the best gaming tables around for people who don't have a lot of money
3: yeah or you can go to um like a sam's club or or at least that's where i've seen them and they have those those big like white plastic tables with the fold out legs and they're really sturdy they just Mm -hmm. i mean they look like something you would sit out at a picnic but they're very sturdy and you can fold the legs up and put them away and you can get one of those for like 100 bucks yeah
2: you can just throw a tablecloth over that if you want to make it look decent
3: and and if you spill something on it you can't hurt the thing
2: and yep. if you need something a little wider, you can just throw a piece of plywood over it and then throw a tablecloth over that. Right. You just have to be careful not to bang it or put a few wood blocks on the bottom that just keep it square. Yep. What I've done is I have a, a subtable, which is 7 by 10 feet. It's oak plywood trimmed out in pine half round. And then on top of that is an oak rectangle that's 8 feet by 5 feet. And then there's a pair of oak panels that sit on top of that. So there's basically two tiers. It, it forms a rectangular box, if you will, that's surrounded by a one-foot margin all the way around. And so all your drinks and your paperwork go on that. And then all the props and the maps or the miniatures go on the raised part, which is roughly six inches above the part where all your drinks and beer glasses are, and then that way no one spills anything on your terrain, and uh, you can lift the panels off and build the terrain on the inside, and then uh, when you're playing a historical game or an encounter in a fantasy game or whatever, if you don't finish for the night, you just put the panels back on, and then you play next week, you just pick the panels back up and get started. Uh, That's good. That's a good idea. That's pretty cool. It works pretty well. Excellent. Yeah. And the <laughs> legs are, like I believe Robert was talking about, with the, the steel tubular legs that fold out. And we used those on it in the old apartment. You could actually fold them in and set the table up lengthwise. We had such high ceilings, but I can't get away with that in this house. Right. Oh. Yeah, or you can go down to a furniture store and just buy legs can screw in. Yeah, and you can get that on the web, too. Yeah, yep. so yep. you can buy, like, specialty tabletops and stuff. Mm. People will ship them to you.
3: You can go to Ikea because they sell... Those modular things oh, yeah. where they, they have you buy the tabletop and then you buy the legs you want to go underneath of it. Oh, that's a good idea. Yep. And it's yeah. it's inexpensive, you know, because it's, it's Ikea. So
2: For people who are on a budget, a card table with half a ping pong table set on top of it works pretty well. Yeah. Store a yeah. tablecloth over. Yeah, true. Yeah. Yeah. All right, fellas,
1: well, I think, uh, I think that about wraps it up. Well, thanks for having me, you guys. I appreciate it. Oh, no, that's oh, a- you've been great, Andre. Thanks for coming. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I had a good time. Uh, you want to plug your website
2: again real quick? Sure. My website is www.gamesoapbox.com, and coming soon will be a blog about theatrical role-playing with tips and ideas and whatnot, www.gamesoapbox.com.
3: And, oh, and and Andre, what what conventions do you do regular?
2: I regularly present at Total Confusion, Carnage, OGC, and I put on an Aerodrome tournament at Huzzah. And I'm going to Gen Con this year. With any luck, I'll be running We're still, I think there might be some, a little confusion, so we'll see. But yeah, hopefully everything will work out with that too, and I'll be running there on a regular basis going forward as well.
3: Right, right. So if you guys are listening to this and you're going to be to any of those confusions, and basically that's the New England area for the most part, other than Gen Con, make sure you you get into one of Andre's games because they're, you know, they they come highly suggested. They generally have to reserve to get in there or else you, you get left out. This has been an episode on props, and uh, I hope you guys got a lot of uh, information out of this and get some ideas for things that you, you may have wanted to do, uh, or things that you may never have thought of. And you know, will add a lot of, uh, it'll enrich and add a lot of environment to your game, and um, help you know anything to make your game better than than what you've been doing already. And that's it for this week. This is Bruce Sheffer saying.
0: There are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in.
3: And this is Blix. Remember, bullets speak louder than words.
4: And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. 3.0 No commercial distribution or derivatives are allowed. The Tri-Tech Podcast is wholly owned by Tri-Tech Games. Visit us at ww.tritchgamers.com or on Facebook. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.
1: This is Bruce Sheffer. I want to invite you to join me at a fringeworthy role-playing session at TimeGate, coming May 27th through 29th. This will be on the 29th, which is Sunday, at 2 p.m. TimeGate is a wonderful convention in Atlanta, Georgia, about Doctor Who and Stargate. Please join me there, and if you need any additional information, please go to www.timegatecon.org.